you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Super Wild Card Weekend was super duper duper. (laughs) (laughs) From the Chris Wessling Podcast Studio, it's Around the NFL flagship show. Yes, Jason Zumwalt said it. it is Super Wild Card Weekend. It's almost through, boys. We got one more game, but today's show, tonight's show, is recapping all the crazy action of Saturday and Sunday. Dan Hans is here. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Hey, boys. It's a little wild. Always feels a little different when we're taping the whole show after what was Sunday night football. Bengals, Ravens, that ball just slipping right so outside close. of James Prochet's hands. But so I, I guess it's fitting. Crazy. Crazy weekend. Uh, yes. Mark, it was crazy, wasn't it? I mean, so after the, after the Seattle-San Francisco game, I thought yes. maybe the league, to some degree, now that it's playoff time, has returned to the form that I recall from right. when we started this show, where you get a dotting of playoff games that are close, but a couple blowouts in there. We've gone totally acid trip with the league. <laughs> like every, Outside of that contest, which even was close at halftime, every game seems to veer into the totally absurd and bizarre and wild and wonderful. Plays in perfectly to, and listeners of the show, longtime listeners know I have, I've done this before. Pro bono, by the way. Um, I offer up league slogans. Sure. I have one, just one to share. Okay. The NFL, we're not perfect. And by the way, neither are you. But our product, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> it works. How about just take out the whole first sentence and go right to the product well, is good. I, sometimes I don't like, you know, of course, NFL, our league, it's a big target. But how about we look in the mirror before we start throwing stones? That, yeah. That's part of that's a, a part of a broader message I wanted to get out there it's to good. the people as well. Yeah, they're protecting themselves in a way that no one can critique. Yeah. I oh, think. you yeah. shooting from oh, behind bulletproof me. glass. Uh, uh, why don't you step aside so we could actually converse oh, yeah. What's like your humans? critique of our sport? Oh, yeah. I think the through line here is like, oh, you don't like some of our calls or something like that. Were you not entertained? Yeah. Have you seen our ratings? <laughs> <laughs> what if we just pivot to being like a totally carrying the water podcast for the next 20 years? Just I think it would be lucrative. Coming. Yeah, yeah uh, certainly. So anyway, we're going to get into all the games. Let's roll through it Saturday through Sunday. And there was and here's the thing to Mark's point. There was only one blowout uh, this weekend. But even that game, the team that eventually got blown out was freaking winning at halftime. That's that's how wild, super wild card weekend was. So let's head to the big bell bottom where the San Francisco 49ers look to make their Lombardi Trophy march. Well, get it going. Let's just just play it. Fake the toss. They roll Purdy to the left. Purdy going to throw back middle. Wide open Debo Samuel. Down the sideline. 50. 40. Debo 30. Debo 20. Debo 10. Debo. Touchdown. San Francisco. Where the 49ers wanted to start their march to the Lombardi Trophy in style. That would have been a better way to get into that highlight. Well, you did it. You did, no, did a great well, job. There's no do-overs. In 
Anyway, Greg Papa, KNBR with the call. Depot, man. It's good that he's back. All this, like, excitement about Brock Purdy happened with Debo Samuel resting up, getting ready uh, after he was injured. And now he's back, and he's just another weapon for this incredible Niners attack and a great defense to boot. And you saw both sides of that in a 41-23 win over the Seahawks. And, um, Greg, I got to start with Purdy here because Mm. I know he wasn't perfect, especially in the first half. Uh, but as he heated up with the rest of the Niners and they went on a 25-point run uh, and took control of this game, um, it just showed once again that this team at, at its top gear looks like they can beat anybody, even with a seventh-round pick, start making a sixth start. Yeah, you just start wondering who can stop this offense, especially in the NFC. Although I look around the league and I don't know because I think Purdy struggles pointed out how a incredible this offense is. Uh, I agree with that. He was cheeks in the first half. Cheeks. As the kids would say. Like, he played poorly. Cheeks. And at halftime, I kept seeing this, like, analysis. Like, well, the Seahawks played a perfect half. Can they, like, back it up? And I'm thinking, like, yeah, they had the lead. Offensively, they were doing great. They gave up 250 yards in the first half and only stopped the 49ers one time. And it felt like they were just, like, trying to hold the damn water back. And they're giving up explosive plays. And again, that's with Purdy being erratic, trying to throw intercept interceptions, like being late in terms of his timings, but, to throw them, but but just like the first few uh, drives, <laughs> yes. like throwing towards Seattle. A little nervous. He seemed to have some nerves. He is a rookie, but it didn't all. matter. Like yeah. they they found they got the open receivers. They moved forward, and then he started doing his Purdy thing, and it was just a, a nightcap. It was over. I mean, we we constantly credit other young quarterbacks for working themselves out of corners and, you know, not P word, not losing their showing poise. Sure. I mean, but he, but he, but he's had a couple games here where like he was perfect early on. This obviously was a different case and it didn't, it just doesn't seem to really matter with the Niners because over the course of 60 minutes, they just simply overpower you. I think it's a scheme thing too, to some degree, because all three of his touchdown throws were to wide open receivers who had five plus yards of separation. He had 179 yards of wide open receiver yards after the catch. I mean, it's like this offense is set up to fly if you can play competently at quarterback, but he's more than that. Right. And he's I think much that's, more than that. I think what's really interesting when you hear from whether uh, it's Kyle Shanahan or his teammates, everyone is complimentary of him, but also you don't hear them saying things like the way you hear certain guys talk about, you know, the top level quarterbacks in the league. Like, I can't believe what this guy does because this offense is so beautifully schemed up and so loaded with talent that you're right. Even with all the throws he missed early on in this game, they still piled up. They were on pace for 500 yards at the halfway point. And then when Purdy settled in, it was like shooting fish in a barrel, really. It was it was complete. It was so easy. And it, it makes me just appreciate, Greg, Kyle Shanahan and what he's been able to build here even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John Lynch, of course, uh, working in tandem to build this roster. It's a fully functional death machine right now. Totally agree. And the way that they've put these pieces together where a little bit like that 2016 Falcons team, but better where it's like a basketball team where every and that was a great different offense. Pl- yeah. I know, but like at, at least in terms of the skill position, but right. talent where every player, including Elijah Mitchell, who was a factor in this game, of course, including Kittle has a different skill set. They all do different things. And, at the end of the game, Purdy's completion percentage over expected was basically even. It was like 0.3 because 
you would be expected to make those throws. You'd be expected to make a five-yard throw to Debo Samuel. You don't expect Debo Samuel to take it 74 yards. Those crossing routes were just wide open all day, and this was a great matchup for them. They had dominated the Seahawks on both sides of the ball physically uh, in two regular season meetings. They did it again. Seattle had no answer. Tariq Woolen kind of got exposed a little bit on those in-breaking routes, but you started with Debo. I thought that was a great place, too, because, man, that was the most Debo Debo's looked mm-hmm. all season, and I think that puts them at another level. Yeah, and I mean, it, with with the Seahawks, because they did hang around, and it's credit to them, and overall, you can look at Seattle and say, I'm I'm glad they didn't pull an upset there, because the Niners, to me, are the team that, you know, mentioned it. I can think they can challenge Philadelphia, they can challenge Kansas City, they can challenge anyone. The, added, the, the addition of Christian McCaffrey is like Debo times two, because he gets it from at any point in the field, and he's explosive, and suddenly is 35 yards downfield or running for a touchdown, but with Geno, I thought they had, you know, the Niners had the back-to-back to back touchdowns and then coaxed Gino into that interception. They had the Charles Menahue like fumble recovery. The fumble off. was it that was the huge. Interception that was by the, then it was over. But that but that fumble was the like everything pivoted right there. And it's like there seems to be if you go back and look, they've scored under 33 points once the Niners since week 12. And it's like they're just so explosive. But it's like you almost forget that their defense creates those plays too. And like Geno Smith, it was better than that Thursday night game, but it got ugly for them. And you just got hit to a point where it's like, Seattle's not getting their way out of this. He, he played well, I thought, Geno in this game. And it, at that point where he fumbled it, you're right. They were just trying to keep up. Uh, the 49ers had scored to start the second half to take the lead back. At that point, it's 23. 20- Three to seventeen. At that point, the 49ers had scored five times in six drives. They would go on to score nine times in ten drives. Like they scored every drive except for that one punt. And that sequence I thought was very telling. They they had a short yardage situation. There's an offensive line penalty. They had a ton of offensive line penalties. It backed them up to second and fourteen. Then it was third and fourteen. And they got quick pressure, got the fumble on Gino, and it felt like the game's over because there's no margin for error uh, against the 49ers. And I think if you replayed this game 10 times, I'm not sure if the Seahawks win any of them. And I and I don't say that in the NFL too often, but I just don't no, right. think it would happen we had too a, often. We had a very good um, 2-7 game on the other side in the other conference, which we'll get to later. But this was more in line with what we've seen so far since they have uh, added these playoff teams. You get a team that's in the old days, had a bye. They were so good, they had a bye. They were the second seed in the league. They had 13 or 14 wins. Now they're playing in the wild card weekend. Uh, one of the team, one of the great titans of the league, and you get this team that's very marginal in terms of making the playoffs. And this is the type of games we're going to continue to see. I think more than more often than not, even though the NFL, even in its new slogan, the product, it's good, uh, and it has been. It wasn't so good in the second half of this game. I'm going to hear from Pete Carroll. Um, I was talking about how it's kind of interesting hearing the way um, Brock Purdy's teammates and his coaches talk about him. Uh, here's what Carroll had to say about Purdy. Brock Purdy did a really good job staying alive. I don't know why we couldn't stop the guy. We, uh, we chased him all over the place. And, um, you know, he's not known for being the greatest scramble. He looked like Fran Tarkin out there today. <laughs> I want to point that out. I wanted to play that because his best play of the game um, ironically, was an incomplete pass. It was after the game was kind of decided. They were in the red zone. He did this really like savvy, athletic scramble, moving across the field, keeping his eyes upfield, spotting Brandon Ayuk in the back corner of the end zone, and then throwing an absolute dart right in his hands. And and Ayuk couldn't handle the ball. But it just shows how much confidence Purdy's playing with. And and you put it all together, even on a not a truly dominant day by the San Francisco defense, uh, you know that's in them 
as well. It's all there for them to go all the way. I think they have that potential. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And I like ice called uh, Purdy like a superhuman being, like a superhuman, like on the Thursday show, which is an overstatement, obviously. But I just think it's hilarious that how many quarterbacks around the league that like we're in year two of these people, year two and a half. And it's like we've got to have patience with these young quarterbacks. Like what Brock Purdy is doing right now. And I don't need him to be perfect. It's just like the fact like from the neck up, everything like he's just fits right in. And like the idea that with this offense, Debo hadn't really done much with Brock Purdy. He fits right in like the way that they're operating right now. They seem totally unstoppable because uh, the Seahawks in the first half of this game did what you asked. They were mistake free. Gino played well. They did all they could do. But it's like they can't you cannot you have to play more than a complete game. You have to coax the Niners into that into like a disaster zone and you can't do it. I mean, they played Fantastic back-to-back long touchdown drives and then got the sneaky field goal right before the half when the 49ers uh, left them a little time to do it. I I was worried uh, as a Geno fan, as a Seahawks fan, although mm-hmm. we did lock up the 49ers, so I was, you know, feeling oh, that's right. some mixed feelings, yeah. me and Mark did that. We were never too worried. Uh, I was never too worried. Yeah. I was ever crazy. Three of us. <laughs> that's right. right. Oh, good job, right. great, good job. great. I knew, I knew they were even within seven games of five hundred. <laughs> I think you're officially eliminated. You have to be by this I point. I am There's eliminated. Three but left. I'm do, going. Do, do we keep voting? By the way, record. Do, do we keep the people that are eliminated? Do they keep locking? Yeah, yeah that's we what just, we've done. In the I don't need is that, how, to. is that how sports works? I feel like you've been eliminated. We'll see you next it's season. It's like the NFL regular season. You keep. But yeah, it's the you playoffs. Can, you could still get up to fifth or take me whatever. out of it. What do I need to be sure. in this for? Yeah, I sure. think you've eliminated yourself. Put me out just of my out of self-respect. <laughs> if you're, if you don't want to do it anymore, if it's important to you to get back to five hundred or whatever. Mm. Okay, maybe I'll I do one we, more. In fairness to Justin, I think everyone's kept picking to the end. I'm not Let's just keep it going. Right now, I'm general. one game out. Wait, of what were you saying? I, oh, that. I knew we were in trouble when Purdy when he broke out of the pocket and he did some of those Zach Wilson plays where he's doing the. You know, turns his back and mm-hmm. starts running around. You get worried, but he usually gets out of it. But at one point, he broke to his left and he did sort of like a high step uh, to the sideline. I think it was Cody Barton coming. I was like, did he just put like a hesitation high step move? He's feeling himself. On Barton, Barton, like they're in trouble. He, I mean, he did miss like Debo Samuel, who was wide open in the middle of the field. He made a couple unpurdy like decisions. The I'll, first two or I'll three drives, unpurdy like at this point because he's not done that in these other right. games. After the, after the first two or three drives, though, I thought he played a, a great game. Yeah, that it, it just was kind of early nerves, I think. And I, I could say this because I'm very experienced in this world. Uh, call it legacy scarring. Mm. Um, with young quarterbacks, coaching matters. And general setup matters, the the scheme that you're putting him into. Um, I'm not saying if Zach Wilson was in San Francisco, he'd be thriving right now, but I bet he'd be a hell of a lot better than he has been with the Jets. Mac Jones is a perfect example in New England. He was in a functional offense last year. Uh, it was set up much better for him to be successful, and he was successful. You took some of those elements out of play, and Mac Jones all of a sudden looked like a guy that was a borderline starter or worse. Um, this is not a knock on Purdy, but he hit the lotto. He really mm-hmm. did. He, he did. He, he hit I, the lot of But here. I think it's I. It takes. I'm not willing to take something away from Purdy by saying. I know you're not advocating for Zach Wilson, but Zach Wilson is Zach Wilson. Purdy is something totally unexpected, and I think a lot of it has to do with his preparation, the person, the locker room absolutely adores him. I mean, they they just don't even see seem surprised by his progress. There's this is the human being of Purdy right. versus just fill in the blank quarterback. I just I do push not push back, but it's just to me this is the story of this juggernaut in a rare case in the NFL where a coach and a GM are allowed to have a vision over a long period of time, and we've seen it 
reached the Super Bowl. We've seen it yep. reach the NFC Championship game, but it feels like this is like the full culmination of everything they've been doing. Uh, they're nasty. They're they're going to be set up next year. I think Geno Smith's going to be set up next year too. Quickly, we do have sound since we're, we're saying goodbye to him. I don't think we're saying goodbye to him as a member of the Seahawks though. Mm. I want to finish my career in Seattle. I want to I want to be here. Uh, the town, the city, the team, Coach Carroll, the organization, they all embraced me. You know, I was a guy who probably could have been out of the league. They embraced me, and uh, I want to repay them for that. Between, oh, whoa, whoa. between that comment whoa. and Pete Carroll really going hard on, like, after the game saying Geno Smith has shown us what level of quarterback he is, and there's only reason to think he can get better, and they ask him a question, and he's like, I, I want him. I just think they'll be able to find – Okay. Some sort of contractual compromise. And our guy Ian Rapport said that they would be willing to use the franchise tag to keep them if they needed to. So even just hearing that, it seems like I think there's enough common uh, ground there between the two well, sides who, to get a deal done. Who loves Gino more outside of you, Greg, than Pete Carroll? And who's shown more faith from the start outside of you, Greg, than Pete Carroll? And it's like, I think you can find a way. You, you're looking always for that rookie quarterback on a contract. You build a team around him. But you <laughs> Wait can... A second. What? <laughs> Wait a second here. I, I thought it was. In, re, I want to repay them for that. That makes you think: Is he looking to take? Would he take a hometown discount? Because this is his one chance to get paid on the open market, Gino. And I, I think th- that is sort of what it said. That maybe but he's not going to push the I issue. So you too. cannot. You can't tell me that the Seahawks are seriously thinking about paying him forty-five million dollars on a one-year deal next year. It's Thirty. It's a big difference. Thirty is is not bad at all for. But a, I. A but guy. the thing, even just having that out there, that they might be willing to use it, just. Has, is a starting point where I don't even think we'll we'll talk about it in the offseason okay, that they'll need to get to that point. You don't get to a franchise on a quarterback unless there's some discord or you can't agree right. on stuff. I think Gino in the Seahawks canon, it would be an ag- a would, contract like that a, would not blow the ceiling off the right. joint. It's like a two-year thing with 45 guaranteed or something. I know like there that. are there's different like levels of franchise tag. I'm just going off CBS here. The 2023 exclusive quarterback franchise tag currently projects to 45.248 million. That's exclusive, which means like no team can give up two first round picks. So, so they wouldn't give him the right. exclusive no, tag. No, okay. no one's, I mean, right. and no one's doing and that, that for Geno Smith. To 30. So. I believe and that's around that. That was another edition of <laughs> Sipping on Vino, Checking on Gino. I mean, big season of that. Let's 32. See. Absolutely. Way. A lot of Vino. Roughly. We don't 32. have the official numbers, but it'd be roughly All 32. All right. There you go. Let's take a break and we will hit uh, the Saturday night barn burner. <laughs> in Duval. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, welcome back. Uh, This stuff is interesting to me, so just to circle back here. With the franchise tag, the exclusive tag, teams must offer the selected player a one-year contract no less than either the average of the top five salaries at that player's position based on April of the current year or 120% of the player's previous year's salary, whichever is greater. The non-exclusive is teams must offer the selected player a one-year contract no less than the average of the top five cap hits 
of that player's position or 120 of the player's previous salary, whichever is greater. I don't think we're getting there. With Obviously, him. that's significantly different. Uh, um, the cap it's hits. Going to be a conversation. Salary. It's going to be a conversation uh, with the quarterback. We're going to talk about that played on Sunday. Big time, there bro. You go. Big time. But first, let's uh, finish up the Saturday night schedule, and it is game uh, that started out as a blowout and then turned into a majestic comeback. From a Florida team. Cook puts it down. Patterson's kick is up. The field goal is good! 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 The Jaguars have won it! The Jaguars have won it! They have come back from 27-0 to win the Ooh, game! And just move made it on. in there. How good is that? Hey, break Frangi. That's real good. It's great. And you get the bungos. Yes, you do. As a result. Two weeks in a row, I think. Oh, man. If Graver did not give the Jags the bongos out of spite. No, he, he's good at that. Titans fans. He's uh, got integrity. We'll it got get, even worse for yeah, Titans we'll fans. Get, we'll get to the, the Gravedigger and some Titans stuff a little, a little later in this kind got of got even worse. I thought we banned the Titans. We're now we're, uh, we're yeah. right back in it. <laughs> Break Frangie with the call, WOKV. And that's how you call that game. We're going to get to another favorite of ours a little bit later, too. So there it is. The field goal is good. Riley Patterson just sneaks it inside the up, upright. And it allows the Jacksonville Jaguars to escape with a 31-30 win over the Chargers. One of the great comebacks in the history of the sport. This was a Jaguar team that um, lost the turnover battle five zilch and Trevor Lawrence threw four picks in the first half and they were down 27 zip and yet they find a way. And Mark, um, when I, uh, you and I have uh, been doing this a long time and you may remember the January 2014 Andrew Luck game uh, against the Chiefs sure. where they were down yeah. 28 points and after a really bad first half, Andrew Luck went nuts and threw for 443 and four touchdowns in that game. And who is the player that Trevor Lawrence has been compared to uh, entering mm. the league? It was Andrew Luck. This was a generational quarterback with a monster performance that will never be forgotten. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, a lesser team. I mean, this is a team with zero playoff experience across the board. Players that weren't even in the league a couple of years ago. And. You could just look around the NFL and see teams that would have crumbled after that first half. And this is this Jaguars team, whether it's Doug Peterson or Trevor Lawrence, is made of something different. Pissed off, Angelo. <laughs> not tonight. Not. They, they, I think the feelings are opposite. I, the, you come out of this game with it being about the loser for a lot of reasons, which we'll get to. Um, this reminded me of, obviously, for other reasons, that Colts-Vikings game. And something that we were texting about in that Colts Vikings game, where you said, Dan, if these, if if the Vikings can just get a touchdown before halftime, mm-hmm. all the mistakes mm-hmm. they've made have happened in such an abbreviated amount of time. Because as I was watching Trevor Lawrence throw pick after pick, it was like, this is a disaster. Except. This isn't in the third or fourth quarter. This is happening so early that there's so much time to work your way out of this if you can pull it together. And I want to just point to one thing that I thought that was very um, indicative of the last week plus with the Chargers. And it was when they were up 27 nothing, And it was a third and one for the Chargers at their own 27. And Justin Herbert planned down, audible to a planned down jet sweep. And I mention this because it was the play where Michael Bandy came around there was a botch job on third down. They were forced to punt, and the Jaguars took 
the ensuing drive into the touchdown, into the end zone, 27-7, and suddenly after all this nightmarishness, you're only down by 20 with a half to go. And on that play, it was initially, you know, weeks ago, it would be Mike Williams who would have done the jet sweep. Okay? And and so first of all, you're tied it all together. You're Joe Lombardi. Put it on a car for for Christmas. Merry Christmas, Joe Lombardi. And you kept the play in the playbook. Bad idea because it was DeAndre Carter who was Mike Williams' yeah. backup who would have done this. But DeAndre Carter was injured by the time that play happened. And so you get Michael Bandy, who Herbert mentioned after the game was Michael Bandy didn't even know what he was supposed to be doing on that play. Uh. So that is a coaching disaster mixed with a situational disaster, mixed with a mistake by a team that couldn't hold on to a lead. And it opened up the doorway for a Jaguars squad that walked right back in. It- I, how I, good is that? I had to go back to like rewatch how this all happened, and that was one of the plays where you thought if they just got a yard on this play, they're going to win that game. Yeah, which is crazy to say, but I really think they would have. They they would have ended the first half uh, if. Herbert had hit a wide open Allen when they were up 24 nothing. Herbert played pretty well in this game for the most part, made a lot of plays that weren't there. Certainly his life was harder, uh, I think, than Trevor Lawrence was uh, in terms of he was really having to work for tough plays, but misses that throw. Then you think about the Joey Bosa mistakes. Like, I can't remember a single player having a bigger meltdown lining up in the neutral zone on a play where they got a sack and would have forced Jacksonville uh, to kick a field goal when they were trying to make that comeback was another four point play. Then he had the penalty obviously left to the two point conversion. Like we can go through all the plays that they messed up, but it's like the other team also has to take advantage of it. And Jacksonville did the whole freaking time. And I'm just so impressed by Doug Peterson and Lawrence and Trent Balky, especially like every single one of their free agent pickups from last season. And everyone's wearing the Balky clown nose uh, to the stadium, like all their leading receivers. And then Foley Fatukasi with the biggest play on defense of the game, all free agents that weren't on the team a year ago. Let the Jaguars serve as the ultimate example, uh, no matter how downtrodden you are, um, things can change quickly in the league. It helps when you have uh, a generational talent, a quarterback hit the scene. And after making the worst hire of the decade in Urban Meyer, you make perhaps one of the best when it's all said and done. And Doug Peterson, who I thought was amazing in this game. Um, everything he did was the right call in the Joe in the Joey Bosa play um, after the touchdown. Uh, what is the pull? Of the, it would have pulled them. The extra point after the score would have pulled them within three. An obvious extra point situation. And he gets a, a second penalty for arguing with the refs. So both loses his cool, yeah. uh, gets the second penalty, uh, having the distance of the two point uh, for the point after. And he goes for two, which he's get. he would. Let's be fair, because we'd probably be giving him something right now if he if they didn't get it done. But that was faith in his offense, faith in his players and his scheme. And they convert that. And it's kind of unheard of to have onions at that level to then set it up where when you do get the ball back you're winning the game with a field goal uh which they did so peterson that's a big analytics thing and you say it's unheard of but doug peterson was doing a lot back in 2017 with that I team know, too it's crazy. Crazy. it reminds yeah, you what's happening in the playoffs is just I, I just have a lot of respect for it let's hear from peterson uh talking about uh trevor lawrence and uh who he reminds him of i played with mm-hmm. one of the greatest quarterbacks ever in, in brett Favre, and there were times when you know he didn't have a, a great first half and Came back in the second half and and uh, could light it up and and that's what that's what I love about Trevor and and his demeanor and and 
his aggressiveness and um, the ability to just forget and move on. Um, but he'll be the first one to tell you that it's not it's not about him. It's the guys around him too. Made made plays. Protection was good. Uh, receivers were doing a nice job being where they needed to be. Um, but uh, you know, from an individual standpoint, it was uh, this is really a, a great performance by our quarterback. I think that we saw Trevor Lawrence because we mentioned it on the show a bunch go through sort of a psychological shift in that London game where it's like, I'm not going to be the same Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to be someone new. And that's been the case. But it's also coaching because if you're Doug Peterson, and he was like best friends with Brett Favre. I mean, his backup forever. Like, you have so many anecdotes and stories of one of the greats melting and being like, Trevor, you're going to be fine. And like, I just, you felt that with Trevor Lawrence. But it was also schematic because the Chargers and Brandon Staley were adequately, you know, praised for using all sorts of disguise coverages against Trevor Lawrence early on in the game. And if you look at Trevor Lawrence's numbers against disguise coverage, it falls off a shelf. He's not the same guy. But Peterson countered in the second half with a rash of hurry-up snaps. And of their 15 hurry-up snaps, 12 came in the second half. They averaged 10.5 yards per play. Uh, Lawrence had three passes of 20 more or more yards. They all came that out of Jones no huddle snaps. That was just like Absolutely. him winning over Staley, but that's, essentially. So a year ago, you had a coach in Urban Meyer, and it's not just a rip on Urban Meyer that's too easy, but who has none of those anecdotes of a quarterback dating back to his own playing days, and had no concept schematically how to help Trevor Lawrence. Everything is new for tangible reasons with Doug Peterson. Right, and like all that's... That's a good point you made, Mark. Yeah, that's a great point, Mark. That's a good point, Mark. <laughs> all that sets up 127 <laughs> left, fourth and one. And despite it all feeling inevitable, they did get to a, a spot at 127, fourth and one, where if you don't get a yard, mm. the Chargers mm-hmm. are going to win a game win the game anyways, and the Jaguars are getting ready to snap the ball, and Doug Peterson runs in with what to me is one of the most memorable timeouts in that I, that I can remember because it, swi- it totally turned the game. He didn't Damn like it, what he saw. I thought you were going to go with some Rosenthal hyperbole I was and say of all one time. of the greatest timeouts of all time. I mean, sure, throw it up Do there. It. How many timeouts <laughs> could be better than that? You basically won a playoff game with that, but he didn't like what he saw in that moment, uses the timeout, comes out of it with that beautiful play uh, where it ends up being ETN, where they like basically have him one-on-one on Asante mm-hmm. Samuel Jr. Good luck with that. And they stuck with the run during that comeback. I just I just was so impressed, but we wouldn't be talking about Lawrence and or Peterson if the defense hadn't like started that comeback for them. It was such a great example of like that it's a team sport because the Jaguars qu- quietly stopped the Chargers in the second quarter on three straight three and outs. While, while Lawrence is still throwing interceptions, four for 16 for 30 yards and four interceptions at one point. And in the middle of the second quarter, that's really where the, the comeback started. They stopped him three straight three and outs, including after that muffed punt that they got over at the six. So it's like it, it's a team game and the defense really stepped up too down the stretch. They, they rushed the passer. What a yes. mess. Yes, they did. And um, let's hear from the Chargers now a little mm. bit because this is – um, for a, a, a star-crossed organization, the Chargers going to charge her and all that. I mean, the fact that that was a, a major part of the discourse on Twitter, even when they were way ahead, I there was almost a, I don't know, a general confidence that this game was going to be close. I think anybody watching it, just because this is what this organization has always done, I guess it doesn't matter. They always say it's just the laundry. It's just laundry. But why do certain teams seem to have this type of stink that follows them through the decade? Mm -hmm. Uh, A crushing loss. Here's Derwin James, their star safety, 
um, asked about his feeling after the game. This is tough because you guys are you guys are unit. You guys have been connected. Um, can you put it into words? I don't even have any words for it right now. Like I said, I've been playing football 21 years, and I ain't never felt like this. And now here is uh, the other star of the defense, um, superstar of the defense, Joey Bosa, who, as we said, had a very tough game. Um, I'm going to have this in two parts because they're very distinct. Here is part one. I need to be more accountable for my actions, obviously, but it's uh, it's a heated game, and I'm hurting out there. I'm playing on half a leg. Um, I'm getting dragged to the ground, whatever could hurt me along with screwing our team and yeah um, maybe some of them weren't as blatant as I thought but um, I don't know and then Joey Boza says F it I I don't care if there's a FedEx uh, package on my stool on Monday I think there just needs to be more accountability on uh, I mean if I say something to them I get a $40,000 fine but if they blow a call that ruins an entire team's season they get to they're probably back in the locker room after the game like I got that yeah got him 15 yards with a loser I guarantee it that's what they're (laughs) talking like in the back um, How do you know? I mean, he guaranteed it. Um, I'm sick of those <laughs> people. I mean, I'm just <laughs> third F bomb so far. Sorry, but man. Oof. I kind of uh, love it. Yeah. I mean, listen, some of the calls are bad. And I, I have to say, like, um, and you're going to see it. You're going to see the think pieces in the days ahead. The officiating, which has been under the microscope uh, because it has not been good uh, this year. It wasn't good this weekend either. And these are supposed to be the best crews in in the game. And I'm not saying all the officiating was bad, but I there were I feel like every game there were major calls uh, that were missed. I like Saturday was a disaster and Sunday was good. Uh, Well, I don't know. I don't know. There was a particularly egregious call in Minnesota that gave the Vikings life on their last drive. The one thing, though, when they are are jumping in and using some of their ability to quickly replay stuff and get it right, there at least is that because I mean, I know it seems worse than ever, but I can remember like a playoff game back in like the 90s where it's like a missed call just led to a team losing. And it's like there was I I agree with Bosa that like the refs do it and then we we complain about it for two days and then they're essentially anonymous individuals and they go on to do their job the next week. But we all remember Joey Bosa melting down. We know the Chargers season's over and they're chokers. I understand his frustration. frustration. But it was like (laughs) non-holding calls and I, I didn't think they were crazy Bosa and Mac definitely did not show up in the second half of the game and that it's part of what's frustrating for him is that it really was more on the defense in the second half the the offense weirdly had its problems in the first half while they were getting a, a huge lead but the offense it, which everyone shares in a blame like this Brandon Staley does Herbert does the offense does but to go touchdown 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 field goal what the one thing the offense did in the second half was actually go on longer drives and limit possessions to the point where the Jaguars had to pitch a perfect game in the second half because they I only like got this Greg I'm I just don't saying, like this no, I know no, no, you're, you're a very vocal member of the Herbert Hive and that, and that's a very loud uh, group uh, in the in the Twitterverse but they scored three points in the second second half and you even said it on but Thursday. But my point Greg. is that they go 7 for 37, 7 for 45, 14 for 53. You got to do better than score 3 points and then go 3 and out well, and that's fine. They collapse, but in a comeback like this, kind of like that Minnesota game we were talking about, like how many things had to go wrong? 
they limited it to where they had to score a touchdown and then the game-winning field goal exactly on every single one of those drives, and they got a touchdown in every single one. Can I just count one. you with one it thing, It was a though? meltdown. There are moments, and like we're talking about Trevor Lawrence the way we're talking about him. We're forgiving four interceptions because of how he bounced back. And I don't think it's a Justin Herbert thing as much as like the Joe Lombardi experience. Um, I'm not sure where the argument is to continue with on, on with that for another year. I think but he they gets had, fired. They had the ball with five-plus, and they had a chance to seal this thing. They went three and out. There are just these drives that matter. And like the whole second half, you're right. There were some elongated drives, but it ended in a punt, a field goal, and Cameron Dicker's second missed field goal like in a I mean, million years. That was a years. huge miss, too. That was a years, huge miss. That's yards. a special teams issue. And that but was then Staley that final losing, three and out. I think Staley got absolutely spooked from the chuckleheads like us banging on him for not going for fourth downs last year. And you saw multiple games this week won because you went for it on fourth down. And th- yeah. that weirdly doesn't get mentioned as much as when it goes wrong. But Staley did the opposite. He kicked field goals from the four-yard line, the five-yard line. And then when Dicker missed that kick, he had a fourth and three uh, with under eight minutes to go where a first down there would have been just absolutely huge. Didn't have the guts to go for it. Was going to at first, changed his mind. They missed the field goal. And, and you're I'm Justin not, Herbert. I'm not throwing Herbert off under the bus, but I don't think he didn't play well, but he also didn't play poorly. He just had like here's, a, a block Here's game. my point. I, I love Herbert. Uh, maybe not at the genuflect level, but I really I see him as one of the great young talents in the league. Uh, but I think sometimes there's because the discourse around him is it, it's almost like the political landscape where it just people just mad yelling about <laughs> Herbert, where it's like, man, like we talked to Thursday, you because you're a big Herbert guy. And you said, well, the reason the Chargers win is because they have the best quarterback. And you're going to see that here. I only saw one special quarterback of the future in this game. And I'm not I'm not taking away from Herbert. I still think he's excellent. I wish he was on my team. But I thought I'm watching Lawrence and I'm thinking we're going to see this guy in the playoffs for 15 years. That's a Hall of Fame player just starting his career. And I just thought like on that stage, Lawrence was special. And Herbert wasn't. Well, it's, it's and I think so that's funny part looking the at their stats because, like, it's it, crazy how similar they were. They both inefficient. They each threw it about, you know, Herbert threw it 43 times for 273. Lawrence threw it 47 times for 288. Herbert has the one touchdown, no interceptions. Lawrence, and I love that callback you had to Andrew Luck, had the four touchdowns. Four interceptions. That was just like Luck's game. He threw three in that game and then wind up throwing four. So there were ups and there downs. I do think it's fair, though, to point out that the Chargers run it 25 times for 50 yards and the Jaguars have a great running game. That Lawrence has a great play caller who has a sense of the moment and schemes guys wide open. Uh, Herbert has... Lombardi, who puts three tight ends on the field for a play-action pass to start that last uh, drive, and Zion Johnson loses a block one-on-one, their first-round pick, and gives up a a quick pressure. Like, I don't think that it's remotely even. His coaching is not good. I I would also say that Herbert has a head coach who played Mike Williams and his starters deep into the season finale when it was an utterly meaningless task to do so explain it off in a weird he, way and right. then if you look at all if you look at Keenan Allen's numbers when Mike Williams has not been in the lineup this year they fall off a cliff and your leading receiver is your tight end in a in the biggest playoff game of your life if you you if you take these two things um these three things the fact that Staley in general has been an underwhelming head coach um since being hired to the 
devastating decision to play his starters week 18 and then lose his biggest playmaker for the playoff game. And then three, for his team to blow a 27 nothing lead. You would think, oh, Staley's going to get fired. Jim Trotter, who's really plugged in, veteran reporter for NFL Network, who knows that team very well, has been around them and covering them for years, um, uh, did a Twitter thread today where he, he outlined his thoughts on how this thing could play out. And, and, and that, to him, it seemed like Staley there's a good chance he would survive. Maybe not the offensive coordinator, but Staley would be safe. And I know that's not what Chargers fans who are in their feelings right now want to hear, but that's what Trotter thinks. Well, one of the reasons was because the linking Sean Payton to L.A., it's like the way the Chargers operate, it's not because they're miserly, according to Trotter. I mean, I think a lot of people think that. But there is a salary issue with someone like Payton. They want to pay first-time coaches and coordinators to become head coaches, but they don't want to give up the draft picks. They want to use those to develop players. I mean, that's a choice. It's a choice. I don't know if I agree with it, but... This, this brings me no um, joy because this, this man has seriously been one of my um, favorite broadcasters in, in my life. But um, Al, I, I think we're going to look back at this game as maybe the beginning of the end for Al. Uh, Michaels, who mm. terrible job, by the way, um, by NBC. Um, I kind of pointed this out on Thursday that it wasn't with Herb Street. And I know that's different because that's Amazon. But you don't throw two guys together that don't have a lot of experience. You certainly don't mm. throw two older guys together uh, when you don't have somebody that's a, an excitable presence. And that's why I know Collinsworth is not a favorite of yours, Mark. But Collinsworth does bring that kind of joyfulness to the, to the sport. And you hear his excitement. And that plays off well with Al Michaels. Al and Tony Dungy, who Tony Dungy's like paint drying, listening to his voice. Here is the final call of the game in one of the greatest comebacks in the history of the sport. Here we go for the win. Got it, but there's a flag down. There's a flag down as everybody's running out onto the field, but there's a penalty marker, and they call it on the defense. Unbelievable. Uh, that, that is unbelievable. Patterson boots them into the divisional round. I love Damn. Al Michaels. Damn. Yeah. You're yeah. really twisting the knife. I mean, I agree oh, with I'm you. I'm sorry, Greg. Oh, I'm sorry to offend you, your sensibilities. <laughs> no, I mean, of course I agree with you. I'm How just, am I twisting the I'm knife? I'm just calling it like it is. We're, like listening to the call. Can I just can I say one thing? <laughs> well, because it's, it's it was a lot of people were talking about it. Oh, yeah. Believe me, I I am with you before the game even started, and I'm I'm with you I, now. I totally agree it, that you need to pair him with someone that's going to bring more energy. I think that that, that it was a, I I was asking myself all. Game. Why did they put these two together? But when it comes to Chris Collinsworth, it's his. It is the voice. It's not his analysis. Thing is a great analyst, but it's like he's a little folksy, and his voice gets on my nerves. That's more of a aesthetic. I just wish that Al was given someone that would make him. Why are bring they jamming? Why are they jamming? I don't need to hear. I don't need. Why you are know jamming? I don't need to hear from Tony Dungy on anything. Check out his record on opinions on other things in the world. Mm. Now you have me in in a booth in the best game of the year. Al's seventy eight years old. I hope Al has a long career ahead of him. Still, um, I just wonder if we'll look back as like, oh, it wasn't Dungy though, botching like the confusion of like the balls at the one yard line, but it's still the two no, point. It's not helping out the penalty. Um, finally, before we uh, move <laughs> off this game, Sad. Uh, another tough night. Al had a tough night. So did our producer uh, who tweeted this uh, when things were going all uh, chargers. Justin Graver at Titans film room. 
Hashtag Titans for maximum clout engagement were incredibly boring all year. No one wanted to see them in the playoffs over Jacksonville, but I promise you, Titans Chargers would have been a better game than this. Hissing Venom. Hissing Venom, Gravedigger. I should have said a better half than this, huh? How about that? That would have worked. I mean, <laughs> how about just keep the Titans out of the discourse? No, this was for Titans fans <laughs> who were brand. like complaining yeah. that the Titans shouldn't have even tried to make the playoffs. But now you have a national, international platform as the producer of this program. People are going to see that and amplify that and come back at you. It's well, amazing. Good. My tweet got over a thousand likes, and <laughs> I owned the tweet. I He's quote, like, I got the clout. That's I, all I needed. I quote tweeted myself, and I said I played myself or whatever that. That was give. good job. You kept it up, and then you made a joke about yourself. That's good. I'm not going to delete, delete you, the yeah. tweet. It's up there. Whatever. It was 27-0 when I tweeted that. Haven't you gotten to play? Aren't we at the point now where have you have you thought about tweeting something in the first half of a game like this yes. where it's a declarative, and then you're like, yeah, wait a minute. With this, I, the way the NFL is, I, it's like, I'm not tweeting this because it's going to go south in like an hour and a half. Big leads aren't what they used to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. I was literally thinking like, Staley's defense is built to like force teams into passing all the time. <laughs> like That's what he's been trying yeah. to build. It's like oh. Then you're dealing with that for the next, you know, 72 yeah. hours. Lesson learned, but you know what? I regret nothing. It was There fun. you go. That's how, that's how you look at it. Let's take a break and uh, we'll move on. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, welcome back. So we moved to Sunday now. And uh, Mark, you had, a, you had a sandwich prop earlier this season that the fastest game ever would be played. I don't know if this was the longest playoff game ever today uh, that was a regulation game, but it had to be close. Dolphins, Bills. It felt like it was going to be a blowout but it turned into anything but. Allen letting it go down to two. Now one takes the snap, hands it off to Singletary. Over the block of his left tackle. Tackle, he moves the pile toward the 35. Out toward the first down marker. He may have gotten it. How about that? That'll be the ball game. They signal first you down, know. and the Bills can go to victory formation. Wow. That's hard to believe. How about the effort by Devin Singletary? <laughs> and the old lineman pushing him. I don't know if we need to, when we have our end of season meeting, Justin, or like, how do we make the show better? Because it's the right call. Could it be? Is it possible it could be to better? To make our show better? Yeah, I'm not I sure. Know, a, I think we made the right pick. Like, what is the highlight for the game? Like, oh, that's the clinching first down. But I'm finding all season, whenever we get the clinching first down, no. Mm. Just doesn't have the juice. I think the, I think mm. the fourth down stop. I don't know how that call was the the drive we before. Checked it. Oh, I'd be with you we on that. We checked it, we and it was about the same, if not a little worse, maybe. You know what? Maybe, maybe it's a lesson. Maybe just go with the great Gabe Davis, Josh Allen touchdown. Who cares if it was in the third quarter? Right. It was a right. touchdown. It was exciting. When we have our when we break bread <laughs> after the season, these are the things we'll discuss respectfully. We'll get it right group. heading into year 11 or 12 or whatever it is. So. Devin Singletary's seven-yard run for first down was the play that the Bills desperately needed to survive against Skylar Thompson and the Miami Dolphins. The final score, Bills 34, Dolphins 31. Um, so they advance. Josh Allen, despite three more turnovers, um, he said it after the game, one-week seasons, man, that's it. All that matters is surviving and advancing. Doesn't matter how we win. It's if we win. And, Greg, they did win. 
Uh, but it wasn't supposed to go like that. Go like this, even though they were up 17 zip. No, they will be happy to move on from the Miami portion of the season. All three of these games were funky. Uh, I know Tua played the other two games, and, and the Dolphins' offense certainly looked better in, in those games, but this was a game where I think Josh Allen and the Bills' offense were really the problem. Even though they got 423 yards in this game, Allen was a roller coaster. They were daring him to throw the ball down the field all game, and he obliged, and sometimes it worked. That touchdown throw to Diggs early was just an incredible throw no one else can throw. The the touchdown to Gabe Davis was an incredible throw. Uh, when he absolutely needed a first down on third and six in the red zone, and they were trailing, trailing in this game to the Dolphins, they, they call the quarterback run. He picks it up and hits Beasley for a touchdown. Like, there were good things. But he had two interceptions and three fumbles, and it yeah, was kind well, of all over the place. And they were stopped in a number of occasions where they could have put the game away. It was not what you expect out of the Bills' offense. I think if we go back for a second to like the Seahawks game, it's like this is what Seattle's defense, if you were the Dolphins, needed to do against the, the Niners to create the chance, to, a doorway to, to win. Because the first interception leads to a field goal. The second one, which really bounced off Cole Beasley, led to a touchdown. And then you have a strip sack fumble touchdown. Like, points are coming from a Dolphins defense that I kind of think, and I thought Romo explained it well, is like, we just want to put Josh Allen into chaos. We know he's going to make big plays out of it, but he's going to make what we've seen of late and earlier in his career, Josh Allen-esque turnovers. And they've been coming in bunches. They're not all on him like any interception we see, but... But he's lucky they didn't uh, lose those last two fumbles he had. Absolutely. It could have been a different game. Absolutely. I mean, this thing was close, though. I don't, I like, I, you know, we were in the middle of the fourth quarter. I know that the Dolphins got a touchdown at one point on offense. So it's like the Bills' defense played a pretty crazily amazing game against, I, I thought they should have against this team. I think it goes back to the fact that Mostert, Raheem Mostert was not in this game. The way he ran on Buffalo last time, they had no ground game. And if, if, in the situation they were in, if they could have sustained some drives and kept Buffalo off the field a few more times and just had some way to move the ball more, they had like 80% of their drives went for like less than 15 yards. I mean, Skylar Thompson was largely a disaster until he made a couple throws late. I mean, this was Buffalo's defense did its job. It's just that it was a truly funky game. And I look at it, I kind of agree with Josh Allen in this one. It doesn't make me totally think differently about Buffalo. They're operating, it seems like, at about 78% of their power. But this felt like a weird odyssey with no major, larger purpose to me because they did escape. Um, all right, so... <laughs> A lot to unpack there. So Skylar Thompson, I thought he was he was 18 of 45 for 220, a touchdown, two interceptions. I thought he was actually better than that. I think uh, they had some drops. Uh, Waddle had a terrible drops. drop yeah. early on in yep. the game. He had another Waddle later. Was hurt. Waddle is injured. He's banged up. Um, but uh, I thought Thompson actually considered, considering what we had seen to him this to this point, acquitted himself fairly well. Now, that said, they had 231 yards of offense. In they 14 had, drives. In 14 drives. drives. They had 16 first downs and 14 drives. So the Bills defense did what they were supposed to do. And I, I, I guess I disagree with Josh Allen. I'm concerned about the Bills a little bit. Because well, but his mentality is going to be different than ours. Our job is sure. to pick so on the throw him out bit. of it. I'm just I'm concerned about the Bills just because, like, I don't think they look good against the Patriots in Week 18. They, Naheem Himes kind of b bailed them out with those two big kickoff returns. I thought you saw bre breakdowns in pass protection. Uh, the offensive line struggled in this game. Breakdowns in special teams. You saw more uh, bad decision-making by your star quarterback. You saw big drops by Buffalo as well. And that's the only reason this game was close. Not because Miami played well. Uh, to me, it was because the Bills just were sloppy. And playing at 75%, you'll beat – 
Skylar Thompson's Dolphins at mm-hmm. home. Yep. You will get your doors blown off uh, next week. Who do they have next week? Bengals. They get Cincinnati, and I know Cincinnati wasn't perfect uh, on on Sunday either, but you need to be much sharper. This is your year, Buffalo. Like, this is it. The window is not infinite. You need to start playing better or else. I don't assume it's their year. That's all. I just will say that. I, I know we've been saying that forever, and it's just like queuing them up is the best team around, and like – they just Josh Allen does amazing things, and you can forgive his mistakes, but his mistakes are plentiful right now. When like it, it's a fair point, like we think of the Bills one way, and they used to have Micah Hyde and Von Miller. Those are really important players. Mm. I'm not everyone's got injuries right now, but it it's been a while, I guess, since we've seen the Bills team that we imagined them to be. Right. That week 17 game that disappeared because of the DeMar Hamlin situation right. would have been a really good litmus test. And we never saw how that even they, played they out. They had that Bears game where they ended up winning easy. But even that game was messy. They were trailing. The Dolphins game was nip and tuck. Uh, they had the, the like the Jets game where the Jets actually like outgained them. The, the, Dol- the Lions game on Thanksgiving, like they are a team that is battling to win. And I think if they win this Super Bowl, if they keep winning these games, it's not going to look pretty. It's going to have to be with Allen being superhuman. I'm a little concerned about their offensive line in general. They had some pretty good blitz pickups early, but as the game went on, they lost more and more consistently up front. And then on the Dolphins side, they 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 have some regrets after this game as well because they did not play as sharp as they needed to play. This was especially apparent with a number of uh, either delay of game uh, penalties or having to burn timeouts, which really burned them late. All three timeouts. Um, all three timeouts because <laughs> yeah. of the inability to get calls in from the sideline, and you don't know what the issue is. Now, there was one specific play with the game essentially on the line. They were facing fourth and one from their own 48-yard line with 2.28 to play. Again, and they didn't have their timeouts at this point, mm-hmm. so this was do or die. They failed to get a playoff in time. They got flagged for a delay of game. Uh, the penalty pushed them back to fourth and six, and then they could not uh, complete the pass. Uh, here's what McDaniel said about that play afterwards, citing a communication gaffe at the biggest stage of the season. It was communicated to me through the um, upstairs. <laughs> I love this guy. You know, from uh, from the headset. I think um, I was standing by an official. Uh, I, I had just had gotten convicted information that it was a first down, um, so I, I don't really know exactly who it was from. It was probably the first time all year that that had happened. So, um, you know, you, it, you you try to do your best as it was. I thought we had a fourth and six opportunity that we were unable to come up with as well. So um, fourth and one. Most of the time is easier than fourth and six, but at the same time, uh, you know, you, you just have to adjust to Sorry. whatever variables put out there. That's, that wasn't a great look all the way around the entire operation and the, and the presser, in my opinion. Well, I agree with you. I mean, that's a total breakdown and, and you don't want to see that happen. But from a maybe a little bit more of a global viewpoint on on what McDaniel went through with this team. I mean, you're dealing with Skylar Thompson, who essentially was a preseason player. And yeah, things are getting funky in these key situations. If that happened to him, if he got the wrong information, that's, he said it's the first time all season. But that that's doesn't a, explain all the other it, it doesn't, times. It doesn't, look at Brock Purdy in San Francisco. I, know, I mean, it, it doesn't, but I, I would just say that Mike McDaniel, like the fact that, you know, he was like, oh, will Mike McDaniel at some point be replaced if they want Sean Payton or fill in the blank coach? Oh, that it's was like, always silly. I agree, but I think yeah. Mike McDaniel on his own proved that he fought through incredible adversity. I mean, three times they played Buffalo. They beat them once. 
the night game a couple a month ago was they were saucy. They hung in there and showed something that very few Dolphins teams we've ever covered showed. And then today, when no one gave them a chance, rightfully, based on who was starting at quarterback and who was out, and you got this. Right. I I totally agree that like in the moment, I, that shortcoming was very frustrating because it was throughout the second half. And Skylar Thompson probably yeah. deserves some of the blame, but it feels like it's more on the coaching that it was just take everything was taking too long. But I was taken by his quarter or post halftime interview. Yeah, he was so confident. Like he and Romo and Nance said that too, that he they really thought they were gonna go in there and win this game. And they were really close to doing it. And they did get to the playoffs in the end. I know they fell down the stretch, but we know he can scheme up offense. And uh, I- I'm with you. I think you, you you have to at least give him some credit for them believing. Like he, I think he's doing a better job at the sort of global coaching. And I think having like his team believe in him and the, the coaches and everything like that, th- than I expected. He's not just like a scheme like guy. There was one team that Romo talked about getting, it was sort of like, weird vibes, jitters, and kind of on edge, and it was the Bills. It wasn't the Dolphins. And I get it, the stakes are different for Buffalo than Miami in theory, but like... Yeah, there wasn't... I mean, uh, Miami was in that enviable position of no one's given us a chance, and, yeah. and you, you, you you sense that. McDaniel's an interesting guy still to me, and we'll, we'll get into all this down the road, but um, his offense was brilliant for half the year. The other half, not so much. There's quarterback issues. We we It was reported today that plan, the team plans to have Tua back uh, next season. Uh, hopefully health will allow that to happen for Tua and the head injuries he suffered. Um, but, you know, McDaniels brought in, viewed as a offensive visionary. You got to put it all together and you're going to maybe get some better luck, of course, at quarterback health. Uh, we'll see. Miami's an interesting team next year. Right now, their season is over. And I'm glad in the end, the Bills, you know, get it done. Yeah, we didn't need the Miami Dolphins around for another week. I did lock up the Bills and it got a little I was never like the way McDaniels was um, confident. I remained confident throughout the game. It was going to be all right. It was one point when they fell behind in the the second half and then the Bills had like a three and out and they're punting. And I'm like, yeah, like, what are you you, what are you guys doing? Like, it would have been a uh, catastrophe for Buffalo to go one and done in this situation. I, would I thought that Buffalo could probably even like midway through third quarter, like they can still win this game by 20 a, points. It was a bad weekend for the games over people on Twitter in general. It's always, yeah. it's the same thing as Justin's tweet. Like this game actually had two of them. Everyone said the game was over at 17, nothing. We should mention it was 17, nothing, mm. you know, early in the second quarter. And then everyone said it was over again at 34, 24, uh, late in the third, and yet there they were at midfield, down three with two minutes and to go. <clears throat> they were about 15 yards away from tying that game up. It's crazy. I have one favorite team, as everyone knows, but I really do like this Bills team, especially after the adversity that they've gone through in recent weeks. I want to see them get to the Super Bowl, uh, so I'm happy that they moved on, and I and I really I implore them, listen up, guys. We got to go up from 75 to about 90. We got to get over the 90 threshold yeah. to to make this thing get to the Super Bowl. Um, and it starts with Josh Allen the being goal. the playoff Josh Allen from a year ago. Like, we're not getting right. that guy we right now. That. We're just and, he would say that. And expectations are high. Anything less than the Super Bowl is failure for this Bills team, uh, whether that feels fair or not. But that's the that's the bar they set after last year's playoffs. So we'll see what happens against Cincinnati. Ooh, boy. All right. Let's move on uh, to the next game on the schedule to U.S. Bank Stadium. Nailed it. 
Takes the snap. He's back to throw. He's under pressure. Got hit as he throws. Completes it to his right. But he's short of the first down as Hawkinson. Oh. He's wrapped up. What a play Hurt. by the Giants. They threw it short to Hawkinson. And the Giants rallied in the ball. And Xavier McKinney oh. makes the play of the ball game. Wow. Giants advance. Hey, that is great. Oh, it's on. And now just here. But it's the New York City Marcus. <laughs> It can be both. So true. People don't understand. It can be both. You don't understand it if you're not from there. Bob Papa with the call. WFN. That's the great Carl Banks. Mm, great player. Great Back player. In the day. Oh, yeah. Parcell's favorite. The New York Giants. The G-Men. Get a 300-yard passing day from Daniel Jones. 78 on the ground, too. And uh, just great big plays on both sides of the ball and a 31-24 victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, and, uh, God, there's so much to get to with Minnesota, including Kirk's check down pass there with the season on the line. Um, but let this be known uh, that the Minnesota Vikings, and this is only the Vikings, and this has felt like it was going to happen. It felt like it was like setting in the stars that they would set an NFL record <laughs> by going 11-0 in one-score games and then the calendar turned to the playoffs and they lose a one-score game in the wild card round. And that is very on brand for the Vikings and the fan base knows it all too well. But the Giants, Mark Sessler, the G-Men. The G-Men! They stepped up and, and really, I thought, played a, a, a beautiful game here and they're advancing to face the Eagles Yeah, I mean, I think the Giants were the other team in the NFC that, you know, were largely... Uh, viewed as fraudulent to some degree, not up to their record all year long, but they were really well coached. And I think that what we're seeing is that Brian Dable does and has had an effect on Daniel Jones, who played the game of his life. And we were getting here in bits and pieces with Daniel Jones. I think we saw it the last time he played Minnesota, that they basically put it in his hands and said, we're going to throw the ball. It's not going to be one of these 124 passing yard days, and we're going to have you run the ball 12 times. You could do both, but... He did it there. He did it again. I thought they took great advantage of a terrible defense. So, so I do feel for Vikings fans who got to this point watching this defense just utterly collapse early on. The Giants, out of the gate, had seven plays of 10-plus yards on the first two drives. Daniel Jones was all over the place in a beautiful way, hitting everyone. You got guys that people didn't even believe in a month ago making big plays for New York. These guys were Niners open, by the way, too. That, the, right. the defense was so poor and the scheme for the Giants so effective that Jones was just like, it was... He was again, dialed in. And, you know, barrel. they have talked about, and I, you know, we'll see where this goes with Daniel Jones. They're, they want him back, too. We've got that reporting has been out there for weeks, that they ran a more typical pro passing game where it wasn't just rollouts for Daniel Jones and trying to kind of protect him from stuff he couldn't do, that he's grown in this system and they're having him do more and more. And I know this is the Vikings and it's a bit of an equalizer because they're a mess on, on in their secondary and against the pass. But Daniel Jones today, like the way you get that version of Daniel Jones and the Giants are a dangerous team. I, I mean, they Oof. maybe go out next week and we'll see you later. But this is a major organizational win for everyone involved. They looked really well coached. They came in totally confident. You got, you know, they had a huge amount of yardage and it wasn't all coming from Saquon Barkley. It was coming from other places, which tells me that this offense has grown. All right. I don't care if this uh, game was against uh, the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Like, <laughs> this was, right. that might make some. I don't know why they would play yeah. that. Yeah, that would be weird. Collegiate. Squad. I, he went over 300 yards with two passing touchdowns and over 70 yards rushing. He's actually the first player in NFL history to combine those stats in a playoff game. Really? Like yeah. that was a that was a hmm. 
peak Cam Newton game. <laughs> that was who I was thinking of because, yes, they didn't call a crazy amount of uh, design runs, but they did it, and he scrambled a ton. Oh, he, he was, was scrambling early. He had over 60 rushing yards uh, midway through the second quarter. Then it calmed down, and it was him with his legs of the first – uh, guy wasn't open. It was him throwing absolute darts on a couple third and long plays where he was very decisive and the velocity was there. They had the best players and they had the best coaches. Like they won this game because Dable had guts on fourth down back to back times in the fourth quarter. It was a tie game when he went for a fourth uh, and one in the fourth quarter before the game-winning touchdown. And I think it was an obvious call at this point in the NFL because it was like less than uh, a yard, but it wasn't that long ago that that would have seemed controversial. Then he went for it again, fourth and short, on his own end in the Giants' last drive, <laughs> and that ended up helping the Vi- the uh, them burn the Vikings' last couple timeouts, waste some more time, and it would have ended the game if Darius Slayton hadn't dropped a wide-open catch. Uh, they would have ended the game with the ball. Instead, they had to count on the defense to finish it off, but man, that's Dable, I think, really out-coaching Minnesota's defensive coordinator, who Kevin O'Connell made no promises about at mm. Donatel after the I game. Mean, I thought that was telling. I mean, yeah, know thy opponent uh, and credit Dable and the Giants. And they saw these guys on Christmas Eve and they lit them up on Christmas Eve also. Um, of course, I mean, yeah, you always attack the Vikings on defense. And the Vikings are one of the strangest teams in recent NFL history. The fact that they went 13-4 and four, but were you know relentlessly criticized in many places, including on this podcast, as uh, punching above their weight. And we, this is exactly kind of what I expected and many of us expected. It would be a go down to the last possession. I thought the Vikings would steal it and find another way to do it, but I knew these teams were even, and that's exactly what this game was. Hmm. I mean, I think the Giants... The Giants are going to be in a good position next week against the Eagles because they're going to have a lot of confidence. And Greggy, I, I, I know that the Giants are a team that you struggle with um, based on history. Uh, but this is kind of an easy team to root for in, in the NFC. One person picked the Giants in this room this week, and it was your boy, 60% G. I'm the real Giants fan. The G-Man you, came wait, through for are me. Are you the same, Greg, that said the Saints were better than the Giants on the preview show two All weeks ago? All I'm saying is... One person picked the Giants this here. week, and it was me. Those are the facts. I had the Giants. I, mean, yeah, I had the Giants ahead in a certain way until there, the last second hey, of the game. I had the it's Giants ahead. I had them. No. Uh, I, I believed <laughs> in this team. I believe you said the Saints were a better team than the Giants. I, I really do, and I've said this on the show the last few weeks, think that they've been a different team the last four or five weeks. I thought they, yeah, they, have. they were – lucky to have the record that they had throughout most of the season and that mm-hmm. they look better on both sides of the ball. You said it, Mark, with, with the way the offense is working. Those receivers are established and they are really talented. Like, there's this idea that they're not a talented team. I mean, they have an all-pro left tackle. Uh, Daniel Jones is certainly talented. Saquon, they, they used him great today, 14 for 109. And then you look at their defensive line. Dexter Lawrence was the best player in this game. He dominated his matchup, was in Kirk Cousins' lap all game long. Kayvon Thibodeau had a great game. Game. You have Leonard Williams there. They they had a Dory Jackson back. They they have good coaches. Like they're talented with good coaches. I, I'm I'm buying. He was, yeah, can I to Dexter yeah. Lawrence? Because this happens to seems to happen like once a week. The roughing the passer call on Dexter Lawrence. Do you remember this from like late in the game 
where they basically like I the, the crew was like I'm not sure what else we can ask him to do other than to slowly quietly. I think put it was because he hit. Ground. I don't think they should have called it, it, but it's because he hit the helmet. It but, wasn't. But the it was throw. so like some of these roughing the passer. That I mean, was that, that, that was disgraceful. Like, and right. you know it's bad when they have to go to uh, who's the Fox guy officiating dude Pereira. Pereira. Yeah, and Pereira, and you know how all these guys are very they tiptoe around this stuff because it's, there's part of a fraternity even if they're no longer actively involved. And when the when you whenever they throw it to the booth guy or the studio guy, yeah. and he has no choice but to say, I don't know what they were seeing on this yeah, one. It was like a that. glancing blow across the face back. I think it's with the officiating. It's another example that we talk about the stakes are higher in the playoffs and players sometimes choke under pressure. I think offici- officials see them in the same light. And again, I'm going to pound the damn table on this. You can. We have this uh, technology now that allows you to quickly rectify drops or catches and reverse things without going to break and without slowing the pace. Why not have New York doing the same thing with these potential game-changing plays? After the Slayton drop, which broke my heart for Daniel Jones because he played so great and the game should have been over there, and then that roughing the passer call, which gave the Vikings the ball near midfield, at that point I was 100% in the bag for the Giants because like they deserve <laughs> to win this game. Absolutely. Uh, and okay, that, I, I'll I'll let you over with the Giants at okay. that point with me. All right. And I'll I'll <laughs> understand that the Saints are better. Um the but let's let's now talk about that play. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Fourth down. It's fourth down and I believe eight for the Vikings near midfield. And Kirk Cousins drops back, uh checks it down to Tyler. Um the TJ Hawkinson, who had another big game, um, he tries to shake free, he gets tackled. It's a great tackle. Uh, that was made. I want to give the Giants play. Xavier McKinney. Yeah, McKinney made the great tackle. Here's Kirk Cousins after the game. A lot of people are wondering, how is he throwing short of the sticks in that spot? Where is Justin Jefferson? Here's what Kirk Cousins had to say. Tried to work Justin. Didn't feel good about putting it up to Justin. And then when I went to progress, I just felt like I was about to get sacked. And I felt like I got to put the ball in play. And if I take, you know, I can't go down with a sack. So I just thought I'd kick it out to uh, TJ. And I had thrown short of the sticks and a few occasions in the game and even going back a few weeks and just felt like you know just throwing it short of the sticks isn't the end of the world it's just um you know it's obviously tight coverage so didn't have the chance to uh to pull away but i just felt like i was gonna go down and take a sack if i didn't put it out it's kind of amazing this season for the vikings how everything seemed to go their way and even the way he said that cousins is you know i've thrown short of the sticks a lot and you know even recent weeks it, it, it would work and in this case, it did not work. And, and it just happened to be the last play of the season for the Vikings on offense. I guess it's very easy for someone to say in a podcast studio, just throw it to Justin Jefferson. Right. But Jefferson is a generationally great talent. And you could either uh, get a catch out of it. You could draw a, per, a, a penalty. We already know those officials were flag happy after what we saw a couple plays earlier. It's just I understand the Vikings fans that are livid that their quarterback, who's known for coming up small in a big spot, made that play. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a bad look because we're accustomed to just automatically critiquing that. I kind of liked his explanation. The only thing I'd say is like, and TJ Hawkinson was awesome today, but um, I would say that like, why not, if it's your last gasp, your last chance, give it to the guy that basically got you here, which is Justin Jefferson. The Jefferson-Cousins connection, if it's if it's against all odds, no one's ever going to kill chance. you for firing it to Justin Jefferson. That said, I mean, we're sitting here. We don't play quarterback. I don't know. I, they they saw bra- what we didn't see. Right. They bracketed Jefferson all game. He only had 47 yards on nine targets, his longest game. What a great job by their defense 10. in that situation. And, and my answer for like why he didn't do this, because like, 
he did break out of that somewhat this year where he would just give Jefferson a chance to make a play. And so maybe you're right. I think he was the first read on the play and that they had a lot of defenders back there. But Cousins is so unlike most of the quarterbacks in this league because he can't escape. And you saw today, I think Cousins played a really good game uh, until the end, basically. I I think he played well. He was getting hit almost every other snap, and he was hanging in there. And his superpower is he's been good at holding to the last second and then getting it to his guys. Keep his eyes upfield. And in this case, yeah, I guess he was hoping Hawkinson would break a tackle. At that point, it was Dexter Lawrence again who was going to go get that sack, and he was right. He he hit Lawrence on the follow-through, and... Either way, I think that play was just going to be won by the defense, no matter what Cousins did. You can't come out of this game just hating on Kirk Cousins because I totally agree with you. I thought that like in a Ryan Tannehill-esque type of way, he threw some shots downfield where he was absolutely brutalized after the throw. Uh, that would be, um, long-time listeners know, a la Raville Magnifico. Anybody talking about this game and everyone just says they lost because Kirk Cousins choked? No. Mm. The Vikings lost because their defense, which was terrible all year, uh, once again, um, was bad again. And this time the offense wasn't able to bail them out. Let's give the last word, though, to Brian Dable, who was asked by a reporter uh, why he seemed to almost be understating how well his quarterback played (laughs) in his first playoff game. Isn't good a good adjective to use? Good? Yeah. It's good? I'm not a writer. I'm just a coach. So, um, look, Daniels, I've said it all year. He's been good for us. He continues to be good for us. <laughs> and he played a good game. Um, and I think there's a lot of other people that play good games, too, to help him play a good game. He'll be the first to admit it. But uh, as the leader of our football team, um, you know, I'm proud of him. I thought I mean, he played a great game. He did, but I, t- I think Dable, like, who's talking to Daniel Jones more and helping Daniel Jones grow more than Brian Dable? It's like, it's it was understated, though, because I think that this, this, the reason we're all in agreement, Greg has finally come around on the Giants. Sure. Which is nice. Well, welcome aboard, Greg. I mean, you picked the fraudulent Vikings over them. Give me a break. <laughs> um, the reason why we all feel that they're frisky now, I think in large part, first of all, it, it should be said real quick, Saquon Barkley, uh, if Dexter Lawrence was the best player on the field, Saquon was the second best player on the field. He was explosive, powerful. He is such a badass, that dude. And now he's healthy again. But Jones is lifting his play has made the Giants just a different team. And they, they're interesting now. That's well, that's something. He, it makes you think of his entire career differently. I mean, I he wasn't this guy before, but like it was interesting to hear like Jason Garrett in the studio. Um, it know, was. Pre- Wait, well, what was okay. interesting about Jason I guess, Garrett in the I studio? Guess what I found interesting, <laughs> I, that's a fair point. But like praising Daniel Jones, like I love you, Daniel. Great to see you. It's like. Y- you're part of the reason, like, not just to kill Jason Garrett, but the coaching that, that Daniel Jones has gotten was very different than this year. Brian Dable is a difference maker with quarterbacks. All right. Let's uh, take a break. We got one more game to get to. Oh, the Cincinnati Zoo. Coming up next. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Uh, Greg just uh, shared with me, welcome back, some uh, ratings information about the program. (laughs) 
And the only response that came to my mind was what, Greg? Boom shakalaka. Well, uh, we're All bringing right. it back. Feeling good. Let's head uh, <laughs> the final game of the weekend to Cincinnati where the defending AFC champions, they, were, they had a fight on their hands. Oh, my goodness. It's a tough division at AFC North. From the one, Huntley no. sticks the ball out. The Bengals no. have the ball. No. They are running it back. Oh, he can't Albert. go the whole way. No, he can't. He's a big man. His number's in the 90s. Look at Mark Andrews. The 30, the 20, the 10, the 5. <laughs> touchdown. Amazing. Bengals. Tyler Huntley tried to extend the ball over the goal line. It got poked away. Sam Hubbard scooped it up and ran the length of the field for a go-ahead Bengals touchdown. Oh, Bengals fans, these are the glory days. Special moments. Dan Horde, Dave Lapham with the call. WCKW. Are you kidding me sam hubbard returned tyler huntley's goal line fumbled 98 yards for a tie-breaking touchdown in the fourth quarter and it helped joe burrow and the Bengals survive a major scare from the ravens and backup quarterback huntley a 24 17 win for cincinnati and they advance yes to meet the bills Right? The Bills? That is correct. In Buffalo. In Buffalo next How week. How about that? So they will play on Sunday. once again. 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. We'll go through the whole schedule yeah. uh, at the very end of the show. But anyway, um, on Mark. On CBS. No, I'm just kidding. I know, you don't, I know you don't want me to share anymore about that. But I, there you no, go. See, people are like, I was ready to tune out. Yeah. But he just said he's revealing the schedule at the end of the show. Oh. People are stuck now. They're trapped. They need it. There's yeah. no other way to get it. Facing third and goal. At the one with about 12 minutes left. Yes, Huntley tried to go over the top of the line for that go-ahead score. But Jermaine Pratt. Mm. Um, he got stood up by Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson poked that ball away, Mark. One of the biggest plays of the year. Yeah, and Logan Wilson, you know, we were watching this together at this point in the viewing room. And Logan Wilson had a, a big stop on Huntley earlier in the game as well. But I, I had, my problem with this was that, like, we live in a world where I have no problem with Josh Allen doing that, attempting that play. Um, I have no Allen, with, I have no problem with, like, you know, people doing, like, the double butt push on Jalen Hurts uh, to convert. Trevor Lawrence had that play Trevor for Lawrence, the two-point conversion. Trevor Lawrence is six foot six, and, like, Huntley is doing the best he can. Huntley is six foot one and, like, 195. Like, but the ball I, wasn't at the one-yard line either. It was, like, one that's and what a I'm half. Like, yeah. I just thought it was, like, it was, like... This was not the play call I would have gone with here. Well, I think. Was- let's hear what Joe Burrow thought about the play of the mm. game. Going through your mind during that, that Sam Hubbard play. <laughs> Run faster, Sam. Go. <laughs> Get there. He actually did look pretty fast, surprisingly. This from Next Gen Stats. That's great. Sam Hubbard reached the top speed of, what do you think it was? Well, I do know. You told me. Oh, so okay. I can, I 21 can... miles per hour. Everyone runs 20. No, no. no it was, it was 17.43 yeah. For his size, miles that's a, per hour. It's amazing. Uh, Gravedigger, give me the uh, the bio height and weight of Sam Hubbard. The third fastest speed by a defensive lineman as a ball carrier this season. Mark Andrews, hot on his tail, reached the fastest speed of his career, chasing down Hubbard 20.72 miles per hour, the tight end, but could not make the tackle uh, the athletes, they're good. He was but, trying to do that Leon Lett thing. He couldn't, he couldn't pull it off. 6'5", 265. Imagine a man of that size running almost 18 miles per hour. That is ridiculous. <laughs> and the fact that, you, like, sometimes a, a game does come down to one play. Because the Ravens kind of outplayed the Bengals. Other than that one yeah. play. And for a kid, 
from Archbishop Moeller, as go, our Greggie. friend Spice Rack points out to me. A local Cincinnati kid, you and Spice Sam Rack's still texting, huh? When this play happened, I heard a lot about the local uh, Cincinnati high school dominance of athletics, of which Sam Hubbard and apparently Spice Rack and the Wesleyan brothers Speaking of glory uh, days, were, were a part. And uh, for like a local kid to make that play that will be remembered forever and just get out of here and get rid of the Ravens. They don't want to see this team anymore. The Ravens in the last two weeks held Cincinnati under 500 total yards. And when I say they don't want to see the Ravens, I mean the Ravens defense. The the Bengals averaged 4.1 yards per play over the last two weeks. They didn't top 260 yards in either game. They were physical. They really shut down Joe Burrow. And when you lost Jonah Williams, their left tackle during this game, at that point, the Bengals' mm. offense didn't do a lot more, and that's concerning. That is, this is really what <laughs> Wesley and Chris Wesley would have called a Pyrrhic victory because, you know, Jay Morrison of the Athletics said that not much celebrating as they walk into the locker room, the Bengals. A lot of head shakes and exhales. Like, you, you won, you got out of here, but you have three of your offensive starting linemen um, not available to no you right now. No cigars this week. They were doing the cigar thing last yeah. week. I, I thought that Burrow was certainly affected by the line issue because there was a lot of him having to run around and try to escape pressure. And it's like, all right, you did that last year, but to do that two years in a row, if this is the state of their line, and it is, you got a problem. It's also diff- like Cincinnati's in a different place than they were last year when they were destiny's darling and nobody was expecting anything. You know, like Buffalo, they're expected to, if they don't go to the Super Bowl, uh, it's a bust this season. And and this game, I think they were surprised because I think they they knew, obviously, it's a division matchup and, and Baltimore did play them tough um, last week. But I think, you know... At least I, I know you had a different viewpoint on this, Greg, going into this game, and, and you turned out to be right on this, which was they had the Baltimore Ravens were ready for them, and they really did stunt what Cincinnati was trying to do on offense. And then you factor in, yes, the offensive line issues. And this is an issue. Paul Denner, uh, who covers the Bengals, pointed this out on Twitter. They went the first 15 weeks of the season, Cincinnati, without having any offensive line injury, a major injury. In the last three games, they lose their right tackle, Al Collins, to an ACL, a right guard, Al Kappa, to an ankle, and now left tackle Jonah Williams mm. uh, to a knee. And we'll see how serious that is. It is the type of thing, Greg, where you – you really, because I really like Cincinnati too, um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, you wonder if this is going to be the thing that does them in as the competition jumps I know, up. You hate it because you spend all season, you spend all off season talking about these teams, and then you get to this point. And they're just not those teams anymore. That's how you get Skylar Thompson starting a game for a promising offense. And now this Bengals team that had such great continuity. I think you said it, that they had the same group. 15 games like, without a major injury. They were the only injury, team yeah. that didn't have uh, those injuries. Now, look, they only had three drives after uh, that touchdown drive where Joe Burrow was magnificent. They did have three long scoring drives. It was a game where Baltimore kind of played the underdog um, playbook perfectly. They limited possessions. They made... They, took possessions away and kept the ball. They they did a good job offensively. That was a little worrisome too. I, I do think the Bengals offense will have better days and that this is a particularly tough division matchup seeing the same team three times in the season. Yeah, I mean, if anything, we're going to get a Bills and Bengals showdown where both of these offenses were kind of like, I mean, the, the Bills are at a different situation. I mean, they're like super explosive at times. But this is a, a Ravens issue for me today. This was a team that kind of bottled up Burrow all year long. And I, I don't think it's this, it's who they are. But the line issues to me could be enduring because you're right back where you started from in terms of your offseason building. All the work you did has vanished. And, and the line issues are not just protecting 
Burrow at all. It's the running game, which has been hot and cold all season, and they basically gave up on it today. I'm thinking of one play where Roquan Smith just stuffed Mixon on a second and two, and then they didn't even try to run again the next down, and it ended up being another three and out. That part's worrisome, but you do still have Higgins and Chase and Burrow, like even though it happens in the first quarter, sometimes the games are won there. He had a couple great drives early that ended up just being enough. I will say like J.K. Dobbins after the game had some pretty strong comments about that Huntley play that we talked about. He was steamed that he wasn't out there. He basically said, in quotes, I'm a guy who feels like I'm on the field at all, all the time. I can help this team win, and I wasn't. It's the playoffs. Why am I not out there? 12 carries, it's the playoffs. He also added, if we would have had Lamar, we would have won two. Uh, we'll get to that in, in just a bit. But Dobbins, we were saying the same thing. We were watching in the theater, uh, Greggy, uh, when this all yep. went down. Um, the You know, when that fumble occurs... Like, why isn't Dobbins, who's been chewing up yards on the ground all day, why wasn't he getting the ball? He was their best offensive and, player, and certainly. that's something, that's a tough way to go into the offseason yep. like that. That came from uh, Jeff Zerbiak, by the way, the uh, Ravens athletic reporter. Other Baltimore gaffes, I thought that they did not handle the clock well on their final possession, and I'll point out specifically some time elements here. First and 10 at the Cincinnati 28, Tyler Huntley passes to Dobbins for 11 yards and a first down. That's at 117 remaining. Baltimore, I believe, had two timeouts at this point. They don't call a timeout, and they don't run another play until 34 seconds Ugh. on first and 10, um, and it's an incomplete pass. <clears throat> and they then take a holding penalty that kind of knocks them back, and all of a sudden now they're at the 27 with 22 seconds left, and they have these timeouts, but now everything's out of sorts. They and never used them. And they, they eventually – I know they used at least one. Okay. Uh, but still, they, they kind of – I think they cost themselves there. Here's how Harbaugh explained it, uh, the time usage or the timeout usage or lack thereof after the game. I think we played it right. Uh, didn't work out in the sense that after that we didn't we had incomplete passes, so you're not going to have a chance to call them. If you complete the passes, you get the ball back in the red zone. You call the timeout. So, I think it's you know from an elementary level, you could say ah they should have called the timeouts, but we had the timeouts worked out right. I think he's telling yeah. us that we're operating on an elementary level. He's well, talking to specifically enough, he, us. I think he knows a little more. I than see us. what he's saying, but the difference is if Lamar Jackson's in that game, they get the next snap off. I think no matter what. Even if you didn't want to use the timeout there, you want to get the next snap off in less than 30 seconds. I mean, yeah. t- not. I mean, you can't compare everything. Jim said it's fine, though. You can't compare everything to Tom Brady, John but he's getting that thing snapped with 30 seconds left on the clock. That thing is. But that's why it, we're, like, know, we're watching these playoff games with second and third string right. quarterbacks in there. And the, oh, wait. Oh, well, it's not operating like a piece of machinery right. from outer space. Well, I don't, not in surprised. fairness, they did like a lot of good. Things. Cool. They had 364 yards. Remember that third and one call where they just uh, chuck it up deep to Andrews? I'm like, I thought they played pretty yeah. well. Right. They, they kind of let them be well, yeah. like aggressive. They today, were better you know? per play than, than the Bengals were. And Huntley, other than that play, really did a good job. And let's just I want to touch on a couple Melissa Stark related things here real quick. Um, Melissa Stark reports right before kickoff that Lamar Jackson um, uh, did not travel with the team to the game, which is interesting because he was in Cincinnati the week before and now he's not at the playoff game and he had also ruled himself out uh, rather than any type of conversation with the team about it. Um, So there's going to be a lot of question marks. 
uh, about that. And this is more now. This also, I think, ties into Lamar. Um, Melissa Stark also, and you know I kind of got on my soapbox about this a couple of weeks ago. I am not about the end of first quarter uh, interview with the coach who's in the middle of a war, um, uh, you know, in football terms. Uh, here is in full Melissa Stark's conversation with John Harbaugh, who, by the way, is under a lot of stress in the game and with his franchise quarterback potentially just in outer space himself. Yeah, able. Back in Cincinnati with Ravens head coach John Harbaugh. And John, you told us your guys were going to be disciplined. What did you think about that last penalty? Well, I didn't like the last penalty. And so what will you tell your guys defensively? Uh, we'll be fine. Our guys will be fine. It's going to be a hard-fought game out here. We're, we're going to play a good game. And Tyler Huntley with that interception, you said we might see Anthony Brown. What will that take? We'll just see how the game goes, okay? Thanks. Thanks, John. <laughs> With Whoa. a big smile. <laughs> Melissa, don't ask me another question. I think John Jeff, Harbaugh is a young 60 years old. I think he's a young 60 years old, but I think this Lamar situation, and we'll learn more probably in the offseason, is probably aging him in dog years. And uh, this is a tough way to end the season. He has an intensity oh. to him just beneath the surface. I guess it's not that far beneath the surface. That's like a lot to take. I've seen that after losses too. Sometimes when they're asking him questions and he, he would be high on the list along with Belichick of guys you just don't want to ask tough questions well, I mean, to shares, after a loss. Maybe a mean dad. <laughs> Think of the other Harbaugh brother. So <laughs> nice dad, he, but he a keeps mean it under wraps compared to, uh, to yeah. Jim Harbaugh there. Like a good father. But, yeah. you know, like if you get his temper going. I yeah. actually yeah. Uh, do you remember this this uh, expose on on John Harbaugh that came out a couple of years ago where he, he, he allowed us to look at his schedule right. and he did have like in the course of like each day like an eight to ten minute period penciled in to speak to his daughters I think it was like it's because he was that busy but bro, it was like so old that was like a <laughs> Yahoo article from like 2014 or something I remember, I remember. I remember. I remember. That. I remember we talked yeah. about it. The headline of that story was a uh, good father comma mean dad. I think that's <laughs> what that was. It. That was um, the headline. By the way and just uh I don't want to belabor this, but Greggy, I brought it up to you. Um, you know, the the thing with Lamar, and we're going to learn more about it, obviously. Or maybe we won't. Who knows? But we'll see where his future is. And Greggy, I know that you have some reporting to share in a moment. Um, at one point during the telecast, and this is where I get a little signals crossed, they remarked that Tyler Huntley's best friend is Lamar Jackson. And uh, Tyler Huntley happens to be playing the biggest game of his life. And then that's when I get I get a little confused because it's like if there is an issue with the player and the team over money, I understand. And there's a business side of this, but not being on the field, if this guy's your best friend and you want your team to be successful, don't you want to be down on the sideline with well, Tyler much less Huntley? The rest of your teammates, like talking, talking to him, taking him through different things. You know, I that kind of surprised me that he wasn't in the building. And I know there's going to be, there's always going to be a sentiment, oh, you're being pro ownership. That's it's not the case. No. But sometimes what I struggle with is the the being the teammate side of this that also kind of crosses paths with the business side and how bad blood can develop with a with an organization, not necessarily with teammates i think it's it's complicated there's a lot we don't know but as a friendship and a teammate part of it look i think those two men like know exactly what's going on in each other's life and the status that lamar has with the team right now it might be a distraction for him to be there 
and be around John Harbaugh. Now, you can assign blame to whose fault that is to get to this point. It's not a good point. If you had asked, the, you know, if we had this information before you asked that question on the Thursday show, what's the percentage that Lamar's back for the team? I would have answered it a lot more than 10%. I feel like yeah. we're in a different mm. place, and I can't help but notice Roquan Smith getting that contract extension last week doesn't have an agent. There's just been buzz, I guess, that like they were working on a contract for Lamar last week, potentially like that. This isn't yeah. necessarily like I think in a perfect world, like they, that all would have happened. And I think the money and and everything got uh, mixed up here, along yeah. with his injuries. I'm not doubting that like he has the, the looseness in his knee. But I think if he's not with the team, that feels like it's taking uh, this whole I, thing to another level. I don't know why level. this didn't occur to me earlier, what? but we are going to talk yeah. about Lamar Jackson. Yeah, we don't we need to talk about it long soliloquies about Lamar yes. Jackson. 875 times. No. Where did where, where did you get the uh, reporting on the uh, contract situation? <laughs> I didn't have any reporting uh, to share. Oh, I thought it was... From was our it, friend. Was it your paper? Of oh, uh, well, it wasn't yeah. for uh, the Washington Post. No, <laughs> okay. it wasn't. But it was that reporter. It was. <laughs> yeah, Jason Locke and Fora, for, I believe, a radio station reported that, like, he he thought this was coming, essentially, and oh, okay. uh, that he wasn't going to be showing up. And he thinks. Wapo's not going to be happy that he's not, he's he not reporting He thinks the relationship the between the, the Ravens and the Lamar is in a bad place. Hmm. I do not care what the Washington Post says. <laughs> I mean, him not going to the game to me tells, I think, I don't that know what it is out. exactly, but it's a lot. It's but also, something. It's an eyebrow razor. I think you're also, when you do that, and Lamar is savvy enough to know that when he doesn't show up and we're all, we're all talking about it now. We're all talking about this whole thing, and it's like that's an extra thing. Where had he to been there? To his credit or not, I don't think he's that is his focus. He because he doesn't manage like he doesn't have an eight like he's not managing the PR angle of it uh, as as a priority. I mean, just like now, if, you, if you don't show up to your team's playoff game and like and you're able to go, what 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 are we doing here? Well, I I think the able to go is a separate issue. I'm not saying that. Maybe like, you couldn't get right. I think like he was able to go like to play in the game, but. This indicates uh, a bad state of their relationship, no doubt. Yeah. All right. And now what everyone's been waiting for. And remember, there's one more game. It is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the Dallas Cowboys Monday night. And we'll have the full recap and all the other reaction to everything that's going on in our league uh, as we start spinning towards divisional round play on Tuesday. But you've been waiting for the divisional playoff schedule. And here it is. So sorry, but before we get too far, yes, uh, Nick Wessling locked the Bengals. Okay, go yeah. ahead with this game. It's tight. Just want to, you know, keep the audience on their toes. No, it's, uh, that's bookkeeping. That's an important part of being a producer. Thank you, Grave Digger. Um, Saturday, uh, this upcoming Saturday, the first game, 4.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. The Jacksonville Jaguars at Kansas City Chiefs. Mm, frisky. I love it. I think it's frisky. I'm glad we got this because had it been the Ravens winning, would have been a whole different situation. This is nice. Mm, I like that. Uh, the night game. Oh, it's going to get wild and salty in the Northeast because the G-men travel to the link to face the Eagles at 8.15 ESPN. Uh, excuse me, Eastern. That's on Fox. The Sunday games uh, will be Cincinnati at Bills on CBS at 3 o'clock and Cowboys or Bucks at Niners at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Good slate. 
Very good. It is. It's the best weekend of the year, divisional round playoffs. We came within a hair of having the Bengals and Bills knocked out. We would, That would have been utter I chaos. I think this is kind of perfect. You yeah. got good games, but you got the top two seeds in each conference through. You got the Bengals through, yeah. which yep. I wanted. And the way this Giants team is playing, that game is in the way the Eagles ended the season. That game is very way compelling. more interesting Dan to me. Hurts' endless updates about a, a shoulder that's not feeling up to snuff. Right. Yeah, like a lot going on there. I mean, Nick Sirianni did a lot of talk about what a great <laughs> healer yeah. Jalen Hurts is. Let's see how healed up he is mm. come Saturday night mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. All right. Any other thoughts, boys? I thought was good. I thought that no. was a solid, professional, comprehensive breakdown of Super Wild Card Weekend. We are professionals, and I would just like to let you know, you know, and others that we've had a microphone issue in here, a headset issue, and so the entire night, um, I like to use the cough button on these machines a lot, just in times, just to... Sure. And You're my a big co- cough button guy yeah, in general. Yeah, my cough yes. button is located um, above Greg's lap because it had to be plugged into the one that Greg's normally in. He's one right. further down. This is We're opening the kimono here to some degree, but okay. like... Um, we can edit this out, so it's fine. Sure, but yeah. uh, I did not use the cough button once because it seemed too <laughs> too awkward, so... But I, you did use it once, didn't you? I didn't use it twice. <laughs> Justin, this is when yeah. you hit the music. Um, was there any type of glancing? I warned Greg ahead of time that this was this might be a thing, but I try to keep it to a minimum once. Give me yeah, wink if there was a crotch graze. No, oh, not on my not on Heed my. the part. call. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 